Uh, I have one announcement for you, and that is we have four Easter services coming up on Easter. Funny enough, Easter is on April Fool's Day. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> we killed Jesus. April Fool's, he's back alive. You know, I don't know. Anyway, uh, so, but there's one Saturday night uh, at 6 p.m. At the 6 p.m. Saturday night service, there is only nursery care. Okay, but we will have nursery care for that. And then on Sunday, we'll have the normal services, 8.15, 9.30, and 11 o'clock. So we'll have the normal three with full child care actually at all three. So if you wanted to come to the earlier service, you can go ahead and do that because we'll do it at all of them. Oh, man. I, I don't know. You, ever, you get up in the morning and it's so cold you don't want to do anything. And the time change has still not let me go. I, I get up and I'm just like, ah, it's... I was wondering, is, is it, am I supposed to get more light in the morning or more darkness? But apparently I get more darkness in the morning, right? That's what it is? Yeah. Man, if you want me to get out of bed earlier, let it get light earlier. I don't... <sighs> means nothing to you. Whatever. Welcome to Element, if you're new. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Again, if you don't own one, please take one with you. Our gift to you. Uh, don't get it wet with the current rain cycle we're having because they do... Like that, but uh, <laughs> anyway, but you can have it. Uh, there are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They are booklets and not actual notes like normal, but the booklets is something our entire staff put together so that we could walk through this series called Didn't See That Coming Together. Now, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Version. If you open that app and click on More and then Events will come up by GPS in your smartphone. It uh, You will get a sermon uh, verses, you'll get the gospel statement for today, you'll get some announcements and stuff like that. Uh, if if you want, I'd really recommend though you get, you get a hard copy, cause, so you don't have to whatever. Hey, my name is Aaron, I'm one of the pastors here, why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is Matthew 11, verses 4 and 5. And it says, And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. This would really essentially be all the outcasts. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who fully trust you for the things that you have said and revealed to us. And that we would live out that goodness in the lives around us because we understand what you have first done for us. Have us be a people who when we say the words good news, we understand and remember who you are and what you've done. And that we would live out and our lives would then also become good news to those around us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are in this series called Didn't See That Coming. It's all about understanding the story of Jesus, which we call the gospel. When we say the word the gospel, it means the good news of God's story of redemption of mankind. The gospel isn't Jesus loves you. Uh, that's part of the gospel, but the gospel isn't actually changed lives. That's the result of the gospel. The gospel is definitive good news of how and why God has saved us. So we've been looking throughout the scriptures from the beginning to see how the gospel has has progressed throughout time, how people have run away from God, how God has pursued, how God has brought his people back into relationship again, because we continue to break relationship, and God continues to come and restore our brokenness that we have made and bring us back into relationship with him. And today we're going to go a little bit different direction than we have been all these weeks, but I think in the end it's all going to make sense where we end up, okay? So just kind of go with me in this. Jesus calls us to trust him, that we would, we would live as a group of people who call themselves God's priests in this world, that we would show who he is, we become God's hands and feet to the world, that essentially we do this as a team. There's no I in team, so we live out this 
together. Together, it's all of us. The church isn't meant to be me doing this. It's all of us together beginning to live out the understanding of the good news. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus intends to set us free from all that holds us down so we could be who he made us to be. And part of that is sometimes how we see ourselves as the center of the universe or we see ourselves as having to get everything done and that we're not actually part of this thing called the church. Sometimes it means that we uh, that when we don't live how God calls us to, that we look down on people around us because they're not as good as we are or live in the way that we are. Being image bearers and partnering with him means that we see the dignity and worth in everyone around us. And so a couple weeks ago, I talked to you about the differences in freedom. There's this thing called freedom from and freedom for. Many times when we talk about freedom, we think freedom is from any external constraints. I can do whatever I want. No one tells me what to do. But the freedom the scriptures speak about is freedom for. Freedom for becoming the people that God intends for us to be. And many times in our freedom for, it means that we say no to certain things because God has called us to live a certain way. Uh, in 1 Peter 2.16, he says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You're like, a cover-up for evil? Well, what's that? Well, Paul, Peter is saying the same thing Paul says really in Galatians 5.13, where he says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The word flesh, we would, call, we would say is the word sin. The beauty of the good news of the gospel is Jesus paid for all of our sin. We have been forgiven. We have been set free, but free to live for him where nothing has to hold us back from living for him. And we are told by Peter and Paul and Jesus and really everybody else in the, in the Bible that that freedom doesn't give us an excuse for sinful behavior because that's not the gospel. And most people would say, I would never indulge the sinful nature. What are you talking about? You know, because I'm talking about it because we all do. Okay, we all we all just do it. We all have excuses. Humanity always has. Like, just think about gossip, right? We we all say, oh, no, no, gossip is horrible. But, you know, we all do it when it's convenient and we like it. We want to talk about somebody. It just kind of comes out. So what we'd really say if we were honest is, oh, I think sin is horrible, except what I want to do it in moderation just because it makes me feel better. I think that's that's really what we would say. Say Now, today I think the issue of freedom from and freedom for really comes up most around this topic called sexuality. And I know, I said it in the church, it's like, is this a nuclear bomb that's going to go off in here right now? Because what's he going to say? Because no matter where I go with this, I'm just going to get in trouble from either side. So it's just like going downhill. But this isn't a message about sexuality, but I really kind of want to talk about this just for a little bit. Because when you talk about this, everybody gets bent out of shape. Because when you talk about the, the scriptures, you know, people say, you mean I'm supposed to reserve sexual intimacy for marriage? I don't think so. That's too hard. No one does that in our culture. That's totally unreasonable. It's too difficult. And in America, we say this famous line, everybody has to decide what is right and wrong for themselves. Scott Scruggs says this. He said, the biggest illusion about sex in our day is not sex is meaningless. Very few people would say sex is meaningless. The big illusion is I get to decide for myself what its meaning is. Like, I get to decide what's right and wrong. I get to decide what this actually means. I decide where to draw where to draw the line. And the gospel says if we really want to live in true freedom, then we don't get the right to do that. There is an order of the universe that we didn't put there, and there's a God, and we didn't invent him. He actually made us. Let me see if I can help you more clearly to understand this in a different area. Maybe the, the less volatile area of slavery. Okay. See how this works. Imagine you can be transported back to the Deep South in the 1800s. Slavery is deeply entrenched, and you go back there, and you talk to somebody about racial equality, somebody that lives in a place where slavery is normal. 
And so you start talking about this. And if you didn't get lynched or, or killed you know, for trying to destroy the status quo, and you had a conversation long enough, it would probably go something like this with a white person. They'd say, you mean to tell me I'm supposed to treat a black person as my equal and eat with them and pay them and, and back their rights and set them free? You've got to be out of your mind. That's unreasonable. Nobody does that. And they may say the famous American phrase, "No, everybody has to decide what is right and wrong for themselves. And actually, no. God didn't put racism up for a vote. If everybody in a society thought racism was okay, then everybody in a society was wrong. Period. Period. We did not create people. We did not create races because there's just one race, and it's called the human race. We did not create sexuality, so we don't get to decide what its meaning is based upon our current culture or our current uh, social practices. We don't. Uh, Tim Keller quotes a letter from an early Christian named Diognetus, and he explains why early Christians stunned the world with their freedom. This is what he says. Diognetus writes this. We share our table with all. We do not share our bed with all. Now, this statement stunned people. Keller writes this. He says, In the ancient world, pagans were promiscuous with their bodies, but stingy with their money. Followers of Jesus were promiscuous with their money, but stingy with their bodies. There is the difference. Christians, they would gather into communities with a common vision of the good news that God had rescued and redeemed and called us into relationship with himself, that he had come to set us free. And this lifestyle for him got lived out in prayer and generosity and chastity outside of marriage and servanthood. And they began to be these spirit-empowered realities in people's lives. And the world was stunned. And we said a couple millennia after this happened, and our world is still changed because of it. And I think if we would understand the gospel as God intends, the world would be stunned and changed again. And I think we'd all love to be part of that. That's what living in the gospel would actually bring. The good news of the gospel is that no one is beyond redemption. No matter where somebody has been sexually or morally, even if they were at some point a slaveholder in the deep south, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came and died for our sins to bring us back into relationship with God again. God calls us to return and leave our broken way of life of saying, I know what's right and wrong for me and simply begin to trust him and follow him. It's a long intro, I know, but today I want to show you how Jesus did this for a group of people who everyone else thought was lost and worthless, and he brings good news. And so I want to talk to you about Jesus' view of women. Of women. You're like, what? Yeah, of women. The ladies. All the single ladies. Whatever. And today... Today, there are a lot of churches who view, who view women as less than a man. Element believes that God made men and women different because you can look at them and just see the differences, right? But we are created equal in the sight of God. There's actually an old dead preacher. His name is John Rice. He wrote a, he wrote a book called Bobbed-Haired Bossy Wives and Women Preachers. And he talks about how all of these are in danger of the fire of hell. Not joking. Not jo- you can go pick it up on Amazon. Anyway, uh, there's this book of little kids, and they, and they ask questions to God. One little boy's question is this. He prays, Dear God, are boys better than girls? I know that you are one, so please don't let that influence your decision. <laughs> right? right? We believe that the Bible and Jesus specifically raised the dignity and worth of all people, including outcasts in this culture like women. Women in this culture were viewed as less than nothing. But Jesus comes, and he disciples them, and he revealed himself first to them after his resurrection. A lot of people in Jesus' day would say that women held no value except to make babies, male babies. But God saw it differently. And just because an entire society saw something one way, it didn't make it right. Didn't see that coming. This starts in Genesis 1. God makes mankind male and female, two genders. We say, well, well, why did God do that? 
Well, sometimes people say, well, you know, you create a man first because man needs to be in charge to lead alone. And no, if you read the book of Genesis, after God makes man, he places him in the garden to tend it and take care of it. And you read in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. This is a place of beauty. Everything is right, except the man wasn't meant to do life alone. And ladies, you know, if you look at a single guy, you're like, that dude is not good on his own because we're just not that good on our own. Single guys are so lost. We'll listen to music we don't like. We will dance and we know we can't dance. We'll get in fights knowing we're going to get beat up. We'll get haircuts that look like something died on our head just because we think someone else might actually begin to like it. We do not do well alone. I told you this a few weeks ago. When I met my wife, I had a mullet and MC Hammer pants. I could play Rocky like a hurricane on the guitar. It was, it was, you know, right after the end of the 80s, so give me some slack. But we do not do well alone. Not good alone. So God makes a helper for the man. A helper doesn't mean junior assistant or slave or gopher. The word helper is most often used in the Old Testament to refer to God himself. I'll give you just one. Psalm 33, verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And if that word is used for God, obviously it doesn't mean someone lower down on the, on the list of worth and value. He doesn't give the woman to the man because the man's not getting his chores done, and so the man needs a lackey to get more stuff done. It's that he wasn't good alone. Why man and woman together? Well, so they could be a community, because God is a community in himself. And he wants mankind to experience that oneness. So he gives man to the woman and woman to the man to be image bearers of God, living in oneness with someone else. Adam could not experience that oneness on his own. He couldn't. So God creates Eve for Adam and Adam for Eve so they wouldn't know oneness. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And so the Bible starts out destroying much of what held an entire group of people in bondage, looking down on others. The Bible then defines the mission for them. Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. The words are careful to say that that mandate of ruling is given to the man and the woman both. Some people say because the man was made first that he's superior. If you're a dude and you're honest, you know that man is superior in very little, right? Very, very little. Uh, I do believe in the scriptures that it teaches this idea of what's called headship. And some people misunderstand what that means. In my definition, headship means the accountable first servant of the other. And what that means is if you look in Genesis chapter 3, when man and woman first sin against God, the woman sins first, and God comes walking into the garden in the cool of the day, and God calls out to the man. Why does he call to the man? Not because the man's superior, but because he was responsible for his bride. God had first spoken to the man. These are the things that I want you to teach her, and I want you to love her and serve her. And the man didn't do those things, so God calls out to him. Why? You're supposed to love and lead and give and serve, and you didn't do that. In Genesis 3, you see this fall from relationship was worship with God because of our own sin, but there are curses then that are handed out. And the biggest curse that mankind experiences is the loss of oneness with, between Adam and Eve, between man and woman, this loss of oneness. God says to the woman in Genesis 3.16, your, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Some people teach like that is the rule. That's a result of the fall. That's a result of the fall. Men and women are supposed to learn how to serve each other, not be subservient to each other. And so often throughout history, uh, even in our country today, men and women treat each other as the enemy. 
Because we are not each other's enemy. We have an enemy. Satan, sin, and death. Our enemy is not each other. Our enemy doesn't want there to be honor and respect in the community between us. The inequality of the sexes is part of the curse that we brought on, that we did. And we still deal with it today. And yet the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, in his death and resurrection, is supposed to return to who we were meant to be, to see everything differently. Equality between men and women is part of our understanding of the gospel. Didn't see that coming. I think in our, in our hashtag MeToo world of today, this is very important. In God's eyes, women were made to be worshipers just like men. Women were not made to, to rule over men or be ruled by men, but as equal image bearers, loved by God, stewarding creation together. You see in Genesis chapter 4 that the fall leads to polygamy, where one man starts to collect wives like their livestock. In this ancient culture, women could be divorced or gotten rid of for putting too much spice in a man's soup for talking too loud, for not bearing children. Even if it was the man's fault for shooting blanks, she got blamed for everything. And here, can I say that in church? (laughs) It's true. (laughs) I don't know know any way to put it. Okay, whatever. Anyway, so here and there in different places in the Old Testament, women kind of surface to leadership. But when Jesus shows up, he shows what God intended, the restoration of a whole class of people the world assumed was worthless. Again, didn't see that coming. Jesus, he is unique among rabbis when it comes to women. Different rabbis had different opinions, but there's this thing that floated around, and they would say it would be better for the Torah, that's the first five books, the Pentateuch of of the Bible, to be burned than entrusted, that's the word taught, to a woman. It would be better for the Torah to be burned than entrusted to a woman. What? What? How about this? One prayer they said is, Blessed art thou, O God, who did not make me a woman. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Many rabbis, they wouldn't even talk to a woman for fear that they'd be too tempted. Apparently, they have no (laughs) self-control. I don't know. We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, and his attitude toward women is revolutionary in this context. In John chapter 4, Jesus sends his disciples off to go get some lunch, and then when they return, he's next to a well having a conversation with this woman, and they're surprised. Why? Because rabbis don't talk to women. And Jesus doesn't just talk to her. In the Gospel of John, they exchange the longest recorded theological exchange between Jesus and anybody else in the New Testament. And you might think, oh, wow, well, she must have been really godly for Jesus to do that. No, she had been married five times. She is currently shacked up with the sixth guy. And what Jesus does is he talks to her about the goodness of God and what God is doing and that he's the Messiah and he's coming to rescue her, that God's on a rescue mission to save his lost children. He doesn't condone her behavior. He shows her the links that God has gone through to rescue her and save her and call her home and her life changes. And before anybody can even really see that change, she goes out and becomes Jesus' emissary to her whole village. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, you we read something unprecedented. I hope you're ready for this because I'm going to blow your mind, Ricky Bobby. Okay. Luke chapter 8, in verse 1, says that soon afterward he, he is Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So Jesus travels with men and women together. That is unheard of. Unheard of. And on top of that, they are the ones really bankrolling his ministry. 
And I think why Jesus does this is he's intending for people to show people how men and women are meant to do ministry and life together. He's bringing them back together again. In Luke chapter 10, there's a story about a woman named Martha. She's really busy. She's working in the kitchen, trying to get all this stuff done. And it says she had a sister named Mary in Luke 10, 39. And that sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said, who sat and listened. In Acts 22, verse 3, the apostle Paul says, I'm a a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Educated at the feet of. That's words for being a disciple. A disciple of a rabbi. Mary had signed on to learn from Jesus to be a disciple. Most people reading Luke 10 would have agreed with Martha. Yeah, tell that Mary to get in that kitchen and, and make some food. Make me a sandwich, woman. But, but no, Jesus says she's picking the better thing right now, and that is listening and learning and growing in what I'm calling you to be. She signs on to be his disciple. This means Jesus calls women who everyone else thought were not worth it, who shouldn't be allowed to even read the scriptures that they're worth his time. Didn't see that coming. Women play a crucial role in Jesus' life all the way to the end. Women followed Jesus all the way to the cross, even when the male disciples ran away. They went all the way there. And as I said, after the resurrection, the first people that Jesus reveals himself to are women. In all four Gospels, the task of being witnesses who testify to the truth about the resurrection is given first to women. You have to understand, in this era, women in this era were considered unreliable witnesses. They were worthless, again, for anything but making male babies. And as much as our culture today likes to claim the Bible is outdated, it is Jesus and the scriptures that move the value and the equality of the sexes to where it needed. It actually needs to be better than where it is today, actually. In Jesus' day, you could quite possibly kill someone. And a hundred women could witness it. But if no man did, you couldn't be convicted. In Luke chapter 24, the women come back from being the first one to see Jesus risen from the grave. They tell the disciples, he's risen. Luke 24, verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Women, come. We saw Jesus. He's risen from the grave. It's amazing. It's not an April Fool's joke. Woohoo! And what do the guys do? You're talking gibberish because you're a woman. You, you don't know anything. In the first century, there's a skeptic named Galen, and he wants to discredit the resurrection. You know how he does it? This is what he writes. But who saw this? A hysterical female that was deluded by this sorcery. In many pagan circles, they discount the resurrection because it was first witnessed by women. And yet today, this is now one of the most authentic marks of the resurrection, that the church didn't hold this information back. They actually embraced it. Because when the men, the disciples, question all this, Jesus shows up. And they're like, oh my goodness, the women were actually right. Like, yes, they were, I'm sorry, yes, they were right. (laughs) This will then lead into the book of Acts where the church just explodes, metaphorically, not literally, but it it just goes. No one ever saw that women could be seen differently than they were. No one would have made up a story where women were the primary witnesses. No one would have guessed that in our day, the very fact that these women were the first witnesses to see Jesus would actually reinforce the claims and validity of the resurrection. No one would have ever guessed that God would be restoring women to the rightful place of equality with men. And yet this is part of what the gospel does. Don't get me wrong, guys. The gospel is not about equality. The gospel is about Jesus and about what Jesus has done as our King and Savior to rescue us and bring us back to the original design, how we're supposed to see the world. But when we understand the gospel, it changes how we see the world around us. Equality should be the result of what the gospel brings in our lives. And this is more than just in regard to women. I think women's important, but this is about all people. 
You've got to think about this on a much deeper and, and a broader level. God is doing this with all of humanity. God is the one who shows us he is calling us all home to trust in him and what he's done. He's the one who restores us in him. And we sit here today and we say things like, well, of course, you know, women are equal w- with men. But God wants us to also see the equality of those that we don't like, those who disagree with us. Think about the racists in the Deep South in the 1800s, even today. What's going to change their, their heart and their mind is not an argument or a punch in the face, though sometimes that may actually feel good, right? What will change them is the gospel, the good news of who God made them to be. And understanding who God made them to be, then understand how God brings them back into relationship with him, even in the midst of all of our fallenness. And that if God does that for him, he's trying to do it with everybody. And we begin to see the world differently. God made all people in his image. What about the people on the opposite side of the political aisle from you? What's going to bring them around? What's going to change them? What, what will ever make us come together in unity? It's not everybody registering whatever political party you're a part of. It's everybody understanding the gospel of how God has rescued us and centering our worship on Jesus Christ first. And that will begin to bring unity. The good news is what God has done for all of us. Jesus is a guy, he brings in the losers. We call those apostles today. He brought in those with broken bodies. He brings in people with broken families. He brought in those who saw their culture as better than others. He brought in those who saw themselves as better than others. He brought in those who saw their own gender as being better than others. And every time he does it, it is the message of the gospel that gets people's eyes off of themselves and onto God where they belong. The message of the gospel, and understand what Jesus has done, is meant to make us see the world completely differently. We're supposed to live and be his image bearers. And each week, I'm giving you a gospel statement to take out and begin to live in this world by how we live and act and speak outside of these walls to make it a reality. So this week, this is your gospel statement. It's right here. The gospel is the good news that even though we have segregated ourselves from God and others, God has not left us in that state. Jesus has come and liberated us through his death and resurrection to restore our broken relationship with God and others. Now, I want to I show you how this works again. I think I did this last week. But the gospel is the good news that even though we have segregated ourselves from God and others, that's where we were. This is where our natural tendency to fall is, right there. God has not left us in that state. Jesus has come and liberated us through his death and resurrection to restore our broken relationship with God. That's the gospel. And others, that's the result of the gospel. That's how we begin to live it out because we understand what God has first done in us. Since man has fallen into sin because of his own choosing, we always try to find ways to make ourselves better than those around us. Even those who claim they don't do that, and they they look down at other people who do, and they just made themselves better than those other people. It's all crazy. All the way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Joel, this is what God says in Joel 2, 28 and 29. God says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. All flesh translates as all flesh. That's all people. It says sons and daughters. That's male and female. And then it says slaves or servants. The word servants is the word slaves, the lowest in that society. God's saying that there is no one that is outside of his love and truth and grace. We all have worth and value. The gospel is meant to remind us how what this truth is does in our lives and how we begin to live that out. How we are sent to welcome others. How we are sent to proclaim the good news of who he is. That we don't have to fight with everyone. We can uphold the dignity and worth of all people. 
because of what God has first done for us. It's not God just send me to do this thing. It's God give me an understanding of your good news, of your rescue and your redemption. And then when I understand that, have me begin to live that out by how I interact with this world around me. And not just around me, but around us as a community. Imagine if Element, as a community, understood the gospel, which is one of the reasons we're doing this 16-week series. We understood the gospel in such a way that we began to see the world around us completely differently. We begin to see it how God intends for us to see it. And we begin to live out the good news of what the gospel is. We take the understanding of what he has done and live it out in our lives as the result of the good news of who he is. This is why we come to communion every single week. So you take that cracker and you break it like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me because Jesus comes and he dies and he rises from the grave to take care of the problem of our sin that separated us from God and from one another. And he brings us back into relationship with God again. Everything he did. It's not about us and our goodness and trying to get it right. It's that he got it right. And so we trust Him, and He gives His rightness to us as a gift. And we get to live out in this world because we understand what He has first done. The band's going to come up, and as they do, I'm going to invite you to take communion and remember that there. If you need prayer, there's going to be some deacons in the back. And if you guys need prayer for anything in your life, but maybe if you're in a place today where you have a hard time seeing others around you, in the same way that you see how God loves you, well, I, I invite you to go and pray with them. And because i got to tell you, it's, sometimes it's so hard for us as Americans to even be willing to say words like that, like, oh, I, I see someone as, as less than me, because you know, we don't want to say... But we all, in one way or another, do. We all judge other people in certain ways. Again, we have a very volatile political situation in our country right now, right? How do we view people on the other side? How could they be so dumb to believe something like that? We're all pointing the finger at each other. You know, they just believe fake news. And what do they say about you? You believe fake news. And, you know, it's like, don't be a dummy. It's like, how about, how about we understand who Jesus is and what he has done and then begin to proclaim the good news of how we can actually come together in unity. Unity doesn't come together by everybody agreeing on a political cause. Unity comes together by trusting the person of Jesus Christ. So let's be a people who speak and live out the gospel. Let's be a community that begins to do that. To live in such a way that we speak of the gracious good news of what Jesus has done. Because he has rescued us. And if you need prayer about stuff like that, they would love to pray with you. No judgment. And if you go back to prayer, we're not going to assume that's why you're going to talk to them either. Okay, just... <laughs> But, guys, we all need someone to come alongside us from time to time and remind us of the gospel because our God is good. There's offering boxes next to all the doors. Uh, we give because God gave so much to us, giving as part of our worship. So you have the opportunity every week. Uh, there's some food outside. Grab something to eat. Meet some other people. Go through some of the questions in the booklets. Maybe ask one another the, the questions about who do you see as, as of less value than you? Who do you tend, have a tendency to look down on the most? And then how can you, by your understanding of the gospel, allow God to have your heart start to change in that and begin to pray for those people and love on them in a way that is, that is different than it has been before. So God leads us into freedom for living the life he calls us to live because he is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning, 
I ask that you would remind us as a people the good news of the gospel. That we would be a people who understand day by day the grace that you have bestowed upon us. And God, if we're, if we're honest enough to speak true and real words, we so often forget the good news of the gospel. And we turn our lives to be simply about ourselves. And when we do that, we look around the world and we see all the ways the world has offended us. But God, that is nothing compared to what we as a people have done to you. And yet you stepped into this world and allowed the people you have made to lay their hands upon you and crucify you. All so that your redemption could be shared with us. And so I ask that you would teach us to begin to see things the way that you do. That we would understand your grace better day by day. That we would be able to speak out the understanding of that grace. And it would soften our hearts to those in our lives. Those who we so often seem to have issues with. When if we would simply lay these things at your feet, many of those issues would go away because it's about our own personal offense and not about the grace of your gospel. So teach us to understand what you have done and then begin to live out that goodness as the result of our understanding of the gospel. Father, we cannot say thank you enough for your grace and your goodness to us. But we do thank you. And we ask that you would make us into a people who steer all people to your feet to live in the hope that you provide. We ask these things in your son's good name. Amen.